As you know, we've been working through uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're getting up there. It's, uh, the, Hebrews is a long book with a lot of dense information to process through, and the, you know, the, the, end, is, the end is around the corner. It's coming, uh, but there's a lot of really uh, amazing material here to talk about, and um, today especially, uh, we get to talk about some familiar verses that a lot of you probably have memorized or have studied in the past, and I think um, you know, I'm just excited about what the Word of God says. So let's just dive in. Let's start off by reading the verse. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I will also have it on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the, ones, the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed." So this first portion of the passage, um, it picks up from Hebrews 11, which Adam preached about last week. If you remember, in Hebrews 11, we have an extensive explanation of what faith is. And, it, and it's demonstrated by going through these examples of heroes from the Old Testament uh, who were faithful examples from the scriptures and how their faith was demonstrated through their actions. So our passage today picks up from there. And it starts out here in the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Okay? So this cloud of witnesses is all those who have gone before us. Both those specifically named in chapter 11, like Abraham and Moses and Joshua, uh, but also all the others um, that have come before us to bring us here. So I think we can celebrate and explore this image of a cloud of witnesses. 
we can use our uh, imaginations faithfully and see, imagine floating above and looking down on us all those heroes of the faith, along with all of the others who have come since. So you can picture in this group that, if you just imagine it, kind of above us like a cloud, right? That we have this group that has Moses and Abraham and Joshua and all those people, along with all the grandparents and parents and all the children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends and the missionaries and pastors and Sunday school teachers and writers that have brought us here to where we are from all over the world. And we can picture this cloud kind of forming over Jerusalem and now spreading through the ages and looking down over Tokyo and Tanzania and Telford. Um, all those faithful people kind of together in one cloud. And as they surround us, they're enjoying the faithfulness of Jesus. Um, but they're also longing for something else to make this perfect experience that they're having even more perfect. But what, what could possibly perfect that, them, right? What could make their reward even better? Uh, one of the, so to the author of Hebrews, he's encouraging us to bring more perfection to what they have accomplished through what we do and how we live in the opportunities that we will have. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this is an accurate description of what heaven is like, but it is a beautiful metaphor of the role that those people played and that we can play, um, and an inspiration, encouraging us to add some more perfect to their perfection by faithfully following along in what they have already done. And it's exciting because we will have an opportunity to do that. Um, moving on in the passage, so since we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So this is a familiar metaphor that we've all heard before, or many of us probably have at least, the Christian life as a race. But I want to point out a couple of things about this metaphor and this teaching here in this scripture. Um, it's easy to preach this idea of the Christian life as a race and to, um, and to sort of just say, it's about making a heroic effort. You know, run harder, push faster, you know, sweat more, right? And, uh, you know, you can really preach that. You can say, you know, everyone in heaven is cheering for you. Don't give up, right? And there is, there's value to that kind of encouragement. But I don't think that is really an accurate um, description of what a faithful like life is. And it's potentially a recipe for disaster to think of it that way. So I want to point out a few things in this verse. He says, let us run with perseverance. Um, now, doing something with perseverance does not mean doing something really hard or doing something with a lot of effort. It is keeping going in the face of opposition. So let me say it again. Perseverance is not doing something really hard or doing something with a lot of effort. Perseverance is keeping going in the face of opposition. 
Uh, so when the scripture says, let us throw off what is hindering us and the sin that so easily entangles, um, there are, those are the things that would cause us to stop running the race, right? There are things that are in opposition. Um, now, if the Christian life feels like a lot of effort and like a lot of hard work, like we just need to grit our teeth and push harder, it might not always be that the race is hard, but it could be that we are entangled. Entangled in sin or something else in our life that needs to be thrown off and left behind. Um, if we are exhausted, it could be the difficulty of the race, but it could also be that we're carrying a big bag of rocks that are really not part of the race. Um, what could these things be uh, that we're carrying but that we need to leave behind to help us persevere? Sins, of course, but maybe other things. We might feel that we have to look a certain way or that we need to please certain people. It might be our material possessions and burdens of success. It could be certain toxic relationships or difficult career ambitions. Many of these things that we can be adding into the race can be making the race really hard. And part of the reason why it feels, it can feel like such a push or such a hard effort but they're not really part of the race. They're extra things. You know, like we've put on, it's like a runner who instead of wearing running clothes is wearing winter clothes, right? It's, it's just foolishness and it's gonna make your race hard to complete. Um, so many things uh, could be entangling us along the way and we would all be wise to take a time of introspection to consider for ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance to see what those things might be that we need to leave behind. Also note in the verse that it says, run the race marked out for us. I think this is so important. Um, the race has been and will be marked out for us. It's not our responsibility to figure out the race, but just to follow the path that has been clearly marked. Um, we're not the pioneers finding the path. We are the followers following the leader. Running the race marked out for us primarily means obeying the teachings of Jesus, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, if you want, you can go back and listen to our Sermon on the Mount sermon series where we talked about this at length, or better yet, you can read exactly what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he lays out and marks, this is the race I'm asking you to run, right? And follow me as I went down this path too. Um, Jesus marked our path for us to follow and walked it ahead of us. So much of what weighs us down in life is just not stuff that Jesus even found it important enough to talk about. Yet, he did give clear teachings that we rarely think about. How to forgive, how to pray, what we should and shouldn't fear. That is the race marked out for us. And if there is something special, particularly for you, Jesus will make it clear. The perseverance we're talking about is staying on the clearly marked course in the face of opposition. And that opposition is equally successful if we stop running or if we run a different race. 
Therefore, we're instructed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer, he trailblazes the way and marks the path. And the perfecter, he takes our efforts and makes them successful. He gets his disorderly flock going in all kinds of directions perfectly to the destination if we keep our eyes on him. Um, For the joy set before him, the verse continues, the second half there, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here we have modeled the example of running the race with perseverance. Jesus kept his eyes on the perfect result, the Father's plan, the joy set before him. And the opposition that he faced was intense, the cross. Uh, But he persevered and neither turned from the path nor stopped along the way. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Okay. The next section that you guys have been looking for is about the Lord's discipline. Um, So let's just read it real quickly, re-review these verses. Um, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciples the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Okay. So the idea of God disciplining us as children um, is an important topic. And I'm hoping that we can talk about it and bring some clarity to it, uh, as it's something that sometimes people can have some uh, difficulty understanding or interpreting the idea of what the Lord's discipline could be in their own life or in someone else's. Um, So there's a couple ideas here um, that I just want to emphasize key points from this passage. Um, The first is that God disciplining us should be encouraging. The presence of discipline from God shows that we are his children, that he loves us, and that he cares enough to be training us for future plans that he has. Many of us might find the idea of being disciplined by God to be scary, or the idea that that's something bad that happened. Like, you know, I, I somehow I screwed up big time and I had to be disciplined. But that's not the scriptural idea. The scriptural idea is that God disciplines us out of his great love for us. You know, if he didn't care for us, he wouldn't bother, right? And if he didn't treat us as sons, if you're just a servant, you don't train and discipline a servant for a future plan you have for them. 
You just expect them to do what they're supposed to do. But a son, a daughter, your future of your family is in them, right? And that's how God is viewing us in that way. So we might find the idea of being disciplined by God to be scary or negative, or the idea of being judged by God to be intimidating. But this is something I've been learning recently that has really changed my whole perspective on the scriptures is to understand that it's very good to be judged by God and that his discipline is something that I should anticipate hopefully. The reason for this is because of God's great love and compassion. Jesus shows us perfectly exactly what God is like. And if God is like that, if that's a perfect description of exactly what God is like, how Jesus is, it is good to be judged by that man. That's a good thing. If we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus. That's the whole thing. That is God's character. And the love shown in Jesus' life, in his teachings, in his death and resurrection, I welcome the judgment of that man because he can really help me. I welcome his discipline because he really knows what he's doing. Right? Have you ever had a, a bad teacher? Right? It's, a, it's like it's a terrible suffering to be being taught by someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Right? But Jesus knows what he's doing. And that's why it's good to be disciplined and to be taught by him. I know that I need help. And Jesus is the most trustworthy helper that I have found. So training and discipline from him is something to look forward to. Um, the second point, discipline occurs in a family. All sons and daughters of God receive his discipline. God has adopted us into his family forever with his unbreakable faithfulness. This is not just a legal reality in the sense that your name was written in a book or on a certificate. But this is a lived experience. It's supposed to be a real relationship. When a human parent looks at their children, they see in them not just what they are, but what they have the potential to be. And the loving parent steers their child, encouraging them to grow into their strengths and gifts, and disciplining and training them to away from harmful and dangerous things. Right? And they strengthen them to be able to become strong and fulfill their role in their family and the community. Our relationship with God is like this, except so much better, because God sees more clearly than a human parent sees. He knows us better than a human parent ever could and understands us more deeply. He also understands how we fit into his plan for his kingdom in a way that our parents never could see. He's also more compassionate and merciful than a human parent. To some, that may sound odd if we're inclined to think of God as judgmental or harsh or distant. But it's completely untrue. Our human parents are much harsher with us than God is. He's, I mean, he's much more merciful, much more patient. Um, this is, you know, a problem a lot of us have, that we would actually think of, would you rather be judged by God or by a human, we might say, oh, no, I'd have the human because we think of God as scary. But God is merciful and actually helpful in ways that a human being 
never could be, even one who loves us very much. Um, so it would be a great error to think about God that way. All the scriptures point to God being much more patient, much more merciful, much more compassionate than any human parent. This is an important context for understanding his discipline, to understand that that's how he is and that's how he relates to us. You know, just uh, if you think about, I don't know how familiar you are with it, you know, but if you think about some of the Psalms, if you think about some of the different scriptures and the prophets, many of the times the writers of these verses were so exasperated at God's mercy. They were happy for it for themselves, but so frustrated at his mercy towards their enemies. Right? Because God is so much more merciful than we are. We're so ready to judge someone, put them in a category, to think they'll never turn out to anything. There's so, put, to put limits on what we imagine that someone can do. But God sees so much more than that because of his wisdom and knowledge and his mercy. Third point, discipline leads to holiness. The end result of God's discipline in our lives is that we become more and more like him that his kingdom becomes more and more our home. As we grow more like Jesus, we will feel less at home having to live in the worldly system that is all around us and feel more longing to be in the kingdom of God. Truly, the kingdom of Jesus is becoming our home and the world around us is becoming a foreign country where we are on mission. As God disciplines us, we may find that his law starts to become the law of our hearts. What once felt like a restriction now becomes a source of joy and freedom. The command to forgive becomes a love to forgive, right? The instruction to be generous becomes joy to share what you have. The, the, our love for others becomes sincere, you know, have, has the idea, you know, if you think about Jesus saying, love your enemies, that doesn't start out as a sincere love. It starts out as, I'll try, right? And as we grow in him, as his discipline has its effect on us, we can start to actually love that person, flowing out of a sanctified heart. Evil desires and inclinations under God's discipline can start to shrivel and fall away, and the desire for righteousness can be fanned into a hotter fire. This is the goal of God's discipline, according to the scriptures, that this kind of holiness can start to be a reality in our lives as his discipline is working in us, and we're becoming more like him. Finally, discipline is future-based. God's discipline in our lives is about planting now for a harvest in the future. So we can tend to view a hardship or a limitation or something that we have to do today as the end of the world. Because in our humanity, we look only to a short horizon, right? Um, I was speaking to someone recently who was grieving, and I, I just felt the Lord leading me to just kind of help to have a conversation with them not so much anything real wise or anything, but just talk about what's going to be happening next year. What's going to be happening five years? Because when we're in a hardship, we just look at this short horizon just today. 
And that's fine. That's how we're made, right? But God is looking in this long horizon out not only today, but to the years and into the generations and out to eternity. That's his perspective on things. Um, so a key difference between a parent and a child, the parent sees that what the child is doing now will affect their future, while the child just wants what they want now. This is similarly true with God and his discipline. Um, that's why one of the aspects of his discipline is waiting uh, and learning to be patient for things um, that he could give us now, but part of the training is waiting. And God is looking at how our lives can bring blessing and fruitfulness, not just now, but in those time horizons that he's looking at. So when he's training you, he's not just thinking of how you can be a blessing today, but how you can be a blessing today, how you can be a blessing through the years and through the generations. That's his horizon. And into eternity. That's how God views it and views you. That should be encouraging that God is training me for those kinds of goals on those kinds of time frames. Um, and that he wants me to be a blessing from today through the years into many generations and for eternity. Now, to wrap this up, I would like to look at a couple very specific and practical things about what we mean about the Lord's discipline. Because I don't know if you're like me, but for me, if I hear a sermon like this, I get, I get frustrated if the speaker is not specific about a topic like this. Like, if I want to learn about something like this, the Lord's discipline and what that means in my life, like I want to know, if you're going to talk about this, please tell me exactly what you mean. You know, so I'm going to try, I can't, you know, talk specifically about your own life, but I'm going to try to be as specific as we can and particularly talk about some um, errors or some ideas that people have about this that we want to make sure we don't fall into. Um, so first, not every hardship in life is discipline from God. But God uses all hardships that happen for training purposes. Okay, I'm just going to say that once more time real quick, that sentence. Not every hardship in life is discipline from God. But God uses all hardships that happen for training purposes. Hardships come from many sources. The curse of sin in the whole world has given us things like disease, accidents, and disasters. And we also have the harms done by other people's sin. These should not be viewed as things that God has afflicted us with as punishment or discipline. But we should be looking, even in these terrible things, for ways that God will be working and growing us. There are examples in the scriptures where these types of things are used by God to discipline individuals or groups of people. But God always, in those situations, makes it very clear exactly what he is doing and why. So think, for example, of Paul being blinded on the road to Damascus, right? This could be an example of a way God was disciplining him. But there was no mystery as to why it was happening and no possibility that it was an accident. It was very clear what God was doing and why. Or consider Jerusalem being destroyed by Babylon and the people taken away in exile. That was clearly the Lord's discipline. 
But the message was given very clearly again and again from God exactly what was going to happen, why, and what should be learned from it. If something like a disease, accident, or disaster occurs, or someone does something evil to someone else, it should not be carelessly blamed on God as part of his discipline, unless God clearly says so. But we should, in those situations, look for his hand at work and listen for his voice. I want to be emphatic about this. When you are talking to someone who is suffering, do not, please, do not carelessly say, God is doing this for your benefit, or God is disciplining you, or it's good that this is happening, or, God forbid, do not say, you must have done something wrong for God to do this to you. If you say these things, you are being cruel. And you are not speaking for God at all. If anything, you are speaking for Satan, the accuser. On the other hand, when someone is suffering, help them if you can, be a friend, and love them to the best of your ability. Be the one, you be the one, to learn the lesson first. Not telling them you should be learning a lesson from this. You be the one to learn the lesson. Then, in the context of a loving relationship and a friendship or a family, you can grow together. All right? Does that make sense? I almost feel tempted to go back and read that whole section again. Because this kind of cruelty happens in the church. And it is terrible. All right? So understand, someone saying, if, if you feel inspired that you should be going up to someone who's suffering and telling them, God did this to them because you did something wrong, that is not God speaking through you. If anything, that is Satan speaking through you. So close your mouth. If God really needs you to say that to someone, he will send a fish to eat you and bring you to their door. Okay? <laughs> You know, I, I hope you realize that this is really serious because there are people driven away from the church by the careless and cruel words that Christians will say to people in moments of suffering, okay? So just, we all got that? All right. Um, so another point, being practical here, one form of the Lord's discipline is letting us learn from our own sin and decisions. So imagine a man who is angry at God, and in that anger, he picks up a handful of sand and throws it in the air to teach God a lesson. And then he looks up in the sky to see how it went. And the Lord's discipline comes back down into his eyes. And the man learned something. Would it be correct for the man to say, that the Lord put sand in his eyes to discipline him for his anger and foolishness? Not in the sense that some lesson was cooked up by God, but yes, in the sense that God did not prevent him from learning this lesson and used it to train his son to become more holy. This is an overly simplistic example, but we're very simple people. And it is shocking, if you think about it, the level of freedom that God has given us to foul things up. 
But in those moments when our actions and attitudes are coming back to harm us, those are the times that we will often learn the most, if we're willing to be taught. Sometimes in our weakness, it takes many repeats to learn the lesson, but the Lord keeps teaching us in his mercy. Finally, another form of discipline is the hardship that results from walking the path that Jesus taught. As we run the race marked out for us, we will encounter hardship and opposition along the way, as we discussed in the first portion of today's passage. Following the teaching of Jesus and trying to live that way will result in hardship. Often, rejection by those who don't agree with our decisions or type of life. It might be things that we feel like we're missing out on or not able to have that we see other people are doing or having. It could be the pain of forgiving. It could be the discipline of prayer, which is very hard. It could be the time and hard work spent on service, which many of you do a lot of. It could be the giving of money. None of these things are easy, but they are all part of the discipline of the Lord. And our attitude towards them should be, as we discussed in this passage, encouragement because they mean that we are sons and daughters of God, hope because it means we're becoming holy, and knowledge that we're being made into blessing, blessings uh, for all those time frames that God looks at, not just now, but the years and the generations and eternity. So, okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And for a lot of us, we're not necessarily used to thinking about this idea of the Lord's, of your discipline in our lives and how it works. But Lord, we, I do pray that we would be encouraged uh, to know that it is something that you do for all of your children and that we would be excited to receive your discipline. Um, because of what it means. It means that you love us and you care for us. And it means that you're working on us, that we're going to become more holy, Lord. Um, and Lord, that, um, I hope that that's exciting to us, Lord. And, and also that it means that we're going to be a blessing um, and that we're useful for you and your kingdom. And Lord, I just pray that you'd keep working on us, Lord. You know exactly how strong we are and how weak we are. You know exactly what we can do and what we can't do. And Lord, I'm so thankful for your gentle guidance, for your teaching, for your correction that we need all along the path. And Lord, for your mercy, even though we wander every direction, Lord, that you just keep on the path and keep drawing us along with you so that we can be fruitful. Lord, I just praise you for your, uh, that you showed us exactly what you're like in the life and teaching and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that because of that, we don't have to fear an angry judgment, but instead that we can love a helpful judgment. That we can see you as a judge, yes, who is dividing in our hearts what's good and what's bad, but also as a healer and a helper and a teacher that can uh, form us into what, is, what it is that you have for us so that we can have a life of meaning and richness. Lord, we ask that you would just soften our hearts to hear and feel your discipline and to respond to it. Bring us to holiness sooner, Lord, and let us be blessings 
uh, soon so that we can see it and celebrate it together. And we thank you so much that your sight extends not just to today, but through generations and eternity, Lord. And help us to play our small part um, that someone who knows 100 years from now could be blessed because of some small thing that we do, Lord, that, we're, that in that moment was just a small act of obedience. And Lord, it's just so amazing to serve a God with that kind of power and vision. I pray that you would help us to share and to just stay on the path that you've marked out as best as we can, gladly accepting your correction when we step off. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.